Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In 1999, the walls of hell cracked, and fallen angels condemned to an eternity in the abyss were suddenly able to flee. With no choice but to come to terms with the decaying remnants of the paradise they helped create, these escaped fallen must now decide whether they will rebuild their masterpiece or burn it to a cinder. Hello and welcome to Demon the Fallen Fragments a Demon the Fallen game set in Rochester, New York, in the year 2001. This story features the character of Azoth, played by Tillman, Erichel, played by Rebecca, Brawlman, played by Adam, and Abathar, played by Slavic. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM, on Facebook at Twin Cities by Night, and on Discord at Twin Cities by Night. We will resume in the parking lot with Jade slash Tizaniel and her large book, which, by the way, is canvas bound. The canvas is a cream color with various splotches of ink all over it. Red, black, blue, bright, bright Lisa Frank pink in a few spots. Neon green. There's some highlighter streaks on it. It looks like a lot of studying and or writing has gone on in and around this book. And the pages are just covered in all sorts of esoteric symbols, numbers, letters, words, words from multiple languages, not all of which are still spoken. Even as demons, you're kind of having a hard time understanding what the hell she's going on about in the glimpses that you get in her book. So we will resume there. And as we resume, you guys will hear... The workmen at the other end of the parking lot burst out in laughter as they start hauling the last of their tools into the building. I wonder what's so funny. Well, someone told a joke. I don't I don't know exactly what the joke was, but I'm sure it was a joke. Maybe they were making fun of me. They did that a couple of times before you arrived. Should we smite them? Uh, did you feel attacked? No, it's not like they could really hurt me to begin with. It's about the principle of the thing. Well, one of them is going to die of cancer within the next two years anyway, so I'm not really worried about it. Oh. Can I touch your book? Can you touch my book? Yeah. I suppose? So, what I would like to do is I would like to place my hand on her book and see if I could do Lore of the Forge, uh, the first dot, Enhance Object, to see if I could gain an innate understanding of the object and its intended function. Go right ahead. All right. So it's going to be perception plus crafts. And the difficulty is... uh, Six. Always six. Okay. Uh, Three. And you're using enhance object to understand it? Yes. Okay. It is a book. It was handmade using very meticulous and slow processes. There's nothing inherently supernatural about it. And there are a couple of ways to have improved how it was made. A finer type of glue could have been used, a higher grade of paper. The canvas is fairly solid, but that too could have been a little more elaborate or better woven. You can't really improve the way that it works because it's a book. It opens, it closes. Nothing breaks in the process. Okay, nothing out of the ordinary. I just... uh, Just a handmade book. Just wasn't sure if this was like, you know, maybe something more than that based on how she's kind of continuously referencing it and you know, going back and forth and adding stuff to it. 
So nope, it looks like the book itself is just a book. The information contained in the book that she's writing is separate from the book itself. Okay, perfect. So what do you guys want to know besides everything? Well, how many others have you met? Uh, I think here, um, there, well, there's you three. There's supposed to be four of you, but there's only three of you. And then I think I met another three. One of them got hit by a car and he went back to the abyss. I don't know if he got back out yet. And the other two I haven't seen since I first met them. We should avoid dying then. What do you mean get back out? How how does this work exactly? I'm still trying to figure that out, but if if your body dies, if the body you're in dies, you get sucked back into the abyss. Unless you have some other place you can go to. Pretty sure you can get back out of the abyss again. But I think that you might need a little bit help to make that happen. What kind of help? Help out here? Help in there? Help out here, I think. From like a mortal. Hmm. And at that, Esme will open up her notebook, flip to uh, different pages than she had before and make some notes. Lauren's thinking, damn, I gotta get a notebook. So we're here, but we have something we need to do, but we don't know what it is because it's not time for that yet. She looks up from her book. Wait, can you say that again? I was a little distracted. Being very frustrated that she has to repeat herself. What are we doing here? Uh, um, she just starts to get flustered as she's not really sure how to react. Well, so there's only so much that I can get from the spheres. And by my notes and calculations, I don't know exactly what you're all doing here, but I know that you're supposed to be here. And I know that you're supposed to be somewhere else down the line. I just don't know exactly where. This was about as precise as I could get it. I'm still working on it. Yes, somewhere down the future, we're going to be somewhere else than here. Truly, you are a master of your craft. Well, yes, but all, all, all four of you together should be there. And what you're going to do is going to have an impact on fate. And I'm trying to figure out how and why and what. Well, doesn't everything we do have an impact on fate? No, sometimes fate has an impact on us. And sometimes other things can override any potential impact we might have on fate. And if someone is really determined, sometimes they can delete that part of fate and replace it with something else. It's very complicated. This but is why I, I wouldn't artists to scientists. I was just about to say, I wouldn't expect you to understand. It's a little above your pay grade. The four of us were already together at one point. Are you sure you're not just miscalculating? Where were you together and when was it? Thanksgiving. And I looked to, I looked to Esme and Lily. She starts flipping through her book again. No, no, no. You, yes, maybe? No. Yes, you were You were there, and you were supposed to be there, but now you're here, and you're supposed to be here, and now that you're here, there's something that you all need to do, and I think this is where it starts. So maybe we should go inside. Excellent. And turning on her heels, she will walk straight through the front doors, or start walking towards that direction. As she walks in through the front doors, two of the workmen run outside. One of them puts his hands on his knees and starts vomiting. The other one just keeps saying, Jesus Christ, over and over again. I'm going to try to hurry inside. I'll see if that vomiting person is okay. Lily walks up to the guy vomiting, and he's just just retching, and he's shaking. And he kind of looks up at her and just gives her a look of... His eyes are wide. 
He has this look of fear and disgust and confusion all commingled into one on his face. And he really cannot get a single syllable out coherently. I try to calm him down, you know. Shh, it's okay, it's okay. After a minute, he starts breathing normally. You hear the other guy on the on a cell phone, one of those Nokia brick phones, next to the van, calling for an ambulance and calling the police. Jade slash Tazania walks up and looks at the, the workman, looks at Lily, looks at the guy on the phone, looks back at Lily. We probably don't have a lot of time to do what we need to do. We should probably hurry. And then she walks into the building. I'll see if the guy's okay, like if he's going to be okay. He eventually starts to calm down a little bit. Are you okay? Do you need water? No, just just don't go in there. Don't. My friends are already there, but don't worry. I'll take care of myself, and I just run straight there. As you run in, as all of you run in, you feel a a strange pressure over the entirety of your bodies, as if you're walking from a normal atmosphere into a thicker, heavier atmosphere. It's almost like walking into a humid, hot greenhouse on a winter's day. It's a very noticeable transition. And that is, you recognize it as the sensation of residual faith in the building, reaching out and touching you each as you go through. And it's not the kind of faith that fuels you. It's a faith energy that you know carries with it the wrath of God. But it is residual. So the most you feel is an unpleasant tingling sensation along with the pressure. You walk in and you notice buckets, paint cans, pallets of bricks, cinder blocks, a number of toolboxes. You're in the central hallway. You see a door that leads down into the basement. And there's a small commotion coming up from those stairs. Let's see what's going on there. Who goes down the stairs first? Esme. She has a singular focus as... The person had puked outside and she just kept walking, feeling everything that you just described and notices this commotion, like hears the commotion and makes her way towards it. As everyone walks down the stairs, Tizaniel bringing up the rear, making copious notes in her book as she does so. There's a group of about three workmen at the far wall. It looks like there had been some sort of repair or remodeling going on. The basement is a dirt floor. It is very old. The stairs themselves are worn. Pieces have broken off. There's some modern equipment and machinery installed in the basement. You see a modern furnace, several modern water water heaters. The pipes running along the ceiling are a mixture of iron and copper. The ductwork appears to be very new, and there are cables and wires running alongside some of them. On the far wall, it looks to have been old brick broken open. There are plastic sheets hanging in the air, nailed to the wooden crossbeams that form the ceiling of the basement. They're drifting listlessly. Three workmen are standing there, downcast eyes, looking absolutely shocked. One of them just is like, is talking, We were just here two weeks ago. What the hell? What the fuck? As Esme approaches, she realizes that the wall that has been ripped open, there is a, a shop light hanging in the space beyond. And on the floor of that space is a boy, or rather the body of a boy, about 10 years old, emaciated, and quite clearly dead. 
Esme pauses about three steps before, um, three steps up, taking in the whole scene and looks to the three workers. Becca, give me a willpower roll, difficulty eight. One success. Suddenly, Esme is no longer standing in the basement. Suddenly, she finds herself standing in the Sojourner house, working as a volunteer once again. But it's, is it Esme? Yes, it's Esme. It's not, it's not Erichel. Erichel's not here yet, but it's Esme. And then there's, there's this woman there with her son. This woman's nose is bleeding, probably broken. Her left eye is puffy and swollen. It'll probably become a black eye. The boy, the boy is alive. He's pale. He's skinny. His hair is patchy. It looks burned in spots, but otherwise it's short. He has bruises all up and down his arms. And Esme is talking to them. She's making notes of some sort. The memory is not quite complete. But the boy, that's, that's the boy in the space. Erichel is certain of it. Esme's memory is of the boy alive. Erichel sees the boy dead now. And suddenly, Esme slash Erichel is back in the basement, staring at the corpse. Esme will continue to just stand and stare at the corpse, thinking mentally of the picture where she saw the boy alive and now that his corpse and trying to pinpoint any differences. And she's just purely focusing on that has completely stopped moving and won't interact with anything else. Erichel realizes that the clothing on the body is the same clothing from the memory, but the shoes are missing. He had shoes, right? Probably. He had sneakers on, I think. You think. Esme remembers, maybe? And as Esme stands there, watching the body, flipping between memory and the present, she realizes that there's water on her face. As in, in the presence, there's water? Yes, in the present, there's water on her face. That will jar her out of her thought process, and she'll go to wipe at it. She wipes, and she feels the trail of the water all the way back up to her eye, and she realizes that she's crying. And this sensation, this emotion of sadness, of pity, starts to creep into her being, and she's she doesn't really know the human version of this. And she takes a moment, she gets she gets a little lost in it for just a moment, but she's able to gather herself and doesn't completely dive into the emotion and let it overrun her senses. Tizaniel starts muttering to herself very rapidly and starts scribbling down a lot of notes. And she starts picking up some of the broken bricks and cinder blocks from the floor, looking at them very intently. And she hands a few to Lily as she goes through the the various piles of debris and detritus. And all of you, all of you, the volume on that static has gone up significantly. you're standing next to the speaker and you can feel it in your teeth. It is so loud and painful at this point. Scenes on you. Brahman would probably try to turn and maybe exit the basement. He doesn't want, the way that he feels is he doesn't want Lauren to have to see this. He values his, his host and that small part of his, of the soul that's inside his host very much. And he he doesn't want to, subject her to seeing this, you know? As he turns to leave, Tizaniel slash Jade puts another couple of bricks into the pile that Lily is carrying, and she looks 
that brawl and says, bring those, bring those. I want you to put them in my car. I nod and I, I go back and take them and I kind of just start making my way over to where I'm guessing, a, where I'm guessing her car would be. You can't pick out exactly which car is hers. There's a number in the parking lot. Some of them belong to, presumably, some of the workmen. A couple of them may belong to staff of the school, possibly even students. It's really hard to tell. It's not exactly a large parking lot, but there's about 15 or so cars in it total. And it's not immediately apparent which one is hers. For those of you still in the basement, as Brawlman leaves, the workmen finally sort of come to and realize that there's other people down there with them that probably shouldn't be down there. Their shock starts to fade a little bit. And one of them turns to the three of you, including Jade. Uh, you need to be upstairs, ladies. You can't be down here. Well, I've been thinking about buying this building, but, you know, not anymore. Well, as far as I know, it's not for sale, lady. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Uh, this is a, I guess this is a crime scene now, so we got to wait for the cops. So just, just go. You don't need to see this. Everything's for sale, dear. But I think we have all we need. <laughs> Let's go. Esme will, completely ignoring that interaction, will actually move herself finally to get closer to the body. As Esme approaches the body, the workman who spoke, Ma'am, you need to leave. He'll just look her dead in the eye. He will actually need to get forceful with her before she would be willing to move away from the scene. She looks at him. Here's what he says, and then moves back towards the body. He moves to interpose himself between Esme and the body, and he just keeps repeating himself, Ma'am, you need to leave. You need to leave right now. You should not be down here. This is a work zone. You are not properly equipped. You are violating OSHA. This is a crime scene. You're violating a crime scene. You need to leave, lady. Go upstairs. If you want to talk to the cops, talk to the cops. If you're a reporter, maybe they'll let you back down, but you need to go now. She'll continue to look beyond his body and then look over to Lily. Has Lily gone upstairs at this point? Yeah. Esme will look back to Lily, not really sure what to do, looking for a, a guide. As she looks back at Lily, she'll see Lily just getting up to the top of the stairs moments before she passes out of view. Lily does look back to see Esme. Well, do you really need to see the body, Esme? She'll deflate and turn and walk upstairs. No. The workman will be very appreciative. Thank you, ma'am. And then I'll turn to his co-workers. Guys, come on. Get this shit out of the way. There's they're gonna need to bring a, a gurney down here. I don't want I don't want the paramedics tripping over all this shit. You know, if you really need to see the body, I can flood the place and force them to go up again. Esme knows the boy as she walks up to Lily and quietly says this. Oh, I'm so sorry. Can't imagine what that's like. I don't think I've ever heard Lily talk to me. She's there, but she's quiet. Brahman hears sirens approaching in the distance. I'm just kind of standing in the parking lot holding a bunch of bricks kind of disassociated a little bit in in shock or my host the host uh, body is in shock i guess and i'm just kind of like staring at the sky jade comes out of the building 
looks to the left, looks at Brawlman. Over here, I thought you would know which one was mine. And she walks over to a car and pops the trunk. I hurry over and I I start kind of unloading all the all the debris I have into her trunk. There's a box with a blanket padding the bottom that she starts indicating that you need to fill. There's also a lot of other unusual stuff in the back of her car. There's a coil of copper wire. There are several lumps of what look like gold. There's a box with a clear panel on the lid, a plastic box with a clear panel on the lid, and through that clear panel you can see various nuts and bolts. There's a few pieces of wood, one of which is, it looks like it was a baseball bat, except the handle of the bat was shaved down into a very sharp point and charred slightly. I'm kind of amazed, and I'll look to Jade and I'll say, where did you get some of these materials? And she'll she'll look at uh, Lauren. Well, I found most of them. I'm pretty sure I'm going to need all of them, though, so I cannot let you use any of them for any of your projects, because I think that I need them for certain things before all of this is done, but I'm not certain yet. How did you know I... That's fine. I, I completely understand. If I had materials like that, I think I might also hold them closely. I haven't seen anything like that yet. You haven't seen copper yet? Well, not since I've been back. I mean... But it's everywhere. The things that Lauren... The things that Lauren works with are... Well, anyways. Lily and Esme can hear the sirens approaching now inside the building. Uh, we should be going... I don't want to talk to the police. Keep having questions. Had to talk to them during this. I think they called it corruption case. Eh, horrible. And questions are bad. Don't see what business they have with me anymore. Mm. I'm assuming Esme and Lily will make their way over to the rest of the group. And real quick, Esme's jotting down some more notes. Esme and Lily walk over to where Lauren is loading Jade's car with some of the bricks and other debris. And as they approach, Jade is sitting there scribbling in her own book, erasing and rewriting stuff. Esme looks up from her own book at at Jade's book and realizes that some of the symbols and letters in her book are rewriting themselves, shifting around on the page of their own accord. Esme saw that? Yes. She'll be drawn in by it, watching as it happens and unintentionally getting closer and closer, very uncomfortably, to Jade and the book. Jade doesn't seem to notice at all that Esme is inching her way closer and closer. However, she does finish up whatever she's writing, and she slams the book shut, and it startles Esme out of her reverie, and Esme jumps a little bit. Too many new things today. And she'll go back to writing kind of about the what just happened downstairs, her interaction with Lily and the workmen. Jade will look at the three of you. I'm going to have to go speak to someone about this and possibly do a few other things. Do any of you know where you can go from here? Not exactly. You do. And she looks directly at Esme. Yes. I know the boy. Esme knows the boy. You should go there while I do what I have to do. And with that, Jade will get into her car. She'll put the large book on the seat next to her. You'll notice a 
pretty thorough collection of fast food bags and containers on the floor of the passenger seat of her car. McDonald's, Burger King, Arby's, Wendy's, Otali's, a few bottles of Coke, some some empty bottles of water, some cans of King Brewery's beer, and she'll pull out and drive off. As she as she's driving away, Brahman kind of thinks to himself, How will we how will we contact you? But it's too late at that point. So this Jade to Saniel. Uh, what do you guys think? She seems as lost as we are. No, oh, that's one way to put it. I don't trust her. What does trust have to do with it? Mm. Well, I'm just saying we should be wary of doing what she tells us to do. Well, her intentions may be good. I fear that maybe her sense of prophecy is misguided. And that. Definitely that. Why? I I sort of look at the car and what's inside. Or or I sort of mention what was inside the car, you know. I mean... I don't know. Esme will study Lily's face for a moment and then flip to a new area in her notebook where she starts to make additional notes, just trying to figure everything out as best she can. So you know the way then? Whatever whatever that was supposed to mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I believe our next step should be to find the boy's mother. Esme closes her eyes and thinks really hard, bringing up the image of the woman and trying to remember the question she was, Esme, the host, was asking the woman, trying to see if she can remember any way to contact her. None of you have the legacy background, do you? I do not. Nope. Can everyone give me a straight intelligence roll? Difficulty eight. Would analytical help in this at all? No, you're not analyzing new material. You're trying to remember something. <laughs> of course I botch. One. I also have one success. So Becca and Adam, Esme and Lauren, or rather Eric Helen Brawlman, they know that there was a Tizaniel back during the war. They know that he was one of the fallen. But outside of that, they can't remember too many details, aside from bits and pieces of having worked with him. On certain operations. Maybe he was an advisor of sorts. Slavic, you remember Tizaniel perfectly. That traitorous bastard sold out to heaven and worked as a double agent. I remember. Yeah, we probably we probably should find out what Tizaniel is planning. He was an agent of heaven during the war. I remember it now. I remember it. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading his name in the lists. Traders. Strange. It's not exactly how I recall it. Neither that that doesn't recollect correct. Nonsense. My memory is perfect, at least when it comes to Cesanio. Well, perhaps in that case we'll proceed with caution, but she's the only other of our kind that we've encountered since the Thanksgiving celebration. Is that At a least bad for thing? myself. Well, I don't know how well you remember the Pult during the rebellion, but I much prefer it without. While those two are debating the rebellion, Esme begins to remember the boy's mother was at the shelter frequently 
something about her ex-husband stalking her and finding her no matter where she moved to. And, you know, as may come to think of it, she remembers hearing maybe about six weeks back, there was talk about this woman's child having run away. It, it might be beneficial to visit the shelter to see if she is there or if someone may know where she is. In the middle of the two talking, Esme will just, not as impressively as Jade, but whoop, her little notebook. Come, it's time to go. Let's, let's go back to, let's go to the shelter. I want to find the mother. Let's go. All right. And with that, we'll make our way back to the car. You all get back to the car just as an ambulance pulls into the parking lot, followed by Monroe County Sheriff's car. From where you are, it's actually not a terribly long drive, maybe about 10-15 minutes at the most. The Sojourner House is in the 19th Ward. It is rather impressive-looking building, all things considered, especially given the neighborhood that it's in. An old mansion, dark brown brick and stone. The property is hemmed in by a hedgerow along Millbank Street. The rest of the neighborhood's houses are typical urban houses, vinyl siding, but this place is definitely a historical entity. There's real history and pathos emanating from it. You can feel that it has been through and seen quite a bit as you all approach it. You go and knock on the door, not the front door. You go to one of the side doors, which leads to the offices. As Esme is a volunteer, she knows to do this. The door opens to a large man, no beard, very, very close cropped hair. He looks at all three of you and then looks at Esme. Esme, good to see you again. We weren't expecting you back so soon. I don't think your next volunteer shift is for a few more days. What brings you here? Hopefully nothing bad. I'm concerned for one of the women that comes here often. I would like to reach out to her. All right, well, uh, come on in. Uh, we'll, we'll see if you can track her down. He lets the three of you in, and as you pass, you realize that he's carrying a pistol and has a nightstick hanging from his belt. Esme stops for a second as some memories kick in, and she, she knows this guy's name to be Rick, and he's not a police officer, but maybe once upon a time he was... Or maybe he was in the maybe he was a police officer in the military. Eric Hell is having a little bit of trouble digging through Esme's memories because Esme was scared of this man a little bit. There was something about him. Maybe it was his capacity for violence that frightened her. She understood his necessity, but was very uncomfortable with him all the same. So she never really learned anything about him in detail. And the three of you walk into a small, uncomfortably appointed office. The standard mass-produced office chair with that horrifying purplish pattern of fabric. You sit in the chairs and inevitably they cause your butt and your back to become sore. And after a few, maybe 10 minutes of waiting, an older woman, maybe in her 60s, comes through another door out of an office. She's holding a binder in one hand and is making notes on a sheet of paper attached to a clipboard that's sitting on top of that binder. The binder is green. She's wearing sort of a light gray skirt suit with a pale blue shirt. Her silver hair is very, very tightly bundled on her head into a very nice bun. And she looks at Esme 
Esme, sweetie, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. This is a pleasant surprise. Who are your friends? Um, it's good to see you too. This is my friend Lily and my friend Lauren. Oh my Where's gosh, Lily, you? Lauren, it's great to meet you guys. And she hugs all three of you, kisses all three of you on the cheek. This man she... is uncomfortable, but she knows to expect this. Yeah, Lily sort of, you know, embraces it, kisses her back, whatever. And uh, is this one of the, let's say, homeless shelters that Lily is supporting? This is not a homeless shelter per oh. se. It's a women's shelter. Specifically, they serve oh, yeah. women who are escaping abusive relationships. Right, right. Okay, it's probably not. Lily does support it. So what brings you here? Come on, come on, come into my office. Would you like some coffee, water, tea? Um, I think I've got some Sprite and Coke in the fridge. Coffee would be fine. And she, Esme looks to the other two. Coffee would be great. I enjoy coffee, as many people do. The woman looks, um, okay, so we've got two coffees, and I'm, I'm sorry, Lily, I didn't hear what you wanted. What, uh, what was, what was your request? Water. Yes. Okay, thank you. So yeah, come on, come on, come in and sit down. And she leads you into the office, and once all three of you are in the office, she turns and leans out the door a little bit. Hey, Ricky, could you get us, uh, two coffees and a water, please? One of the Dasanis? You hear a grunt back from down the hallway. Thanks, hon. And she closes the door. The office is much better appointed than the waiting room. Large, overstuffed leather chairs across from a nice, dark wood desk that is probably at least 50 to 60 years old. And the desk has a big honking Dell tower on it with a nice big CRT monitor set off to one side. There's papers scattered across it, a couple of open books. Uh, it looks like there's some sort of spiral bound report sitting in the middle of the desk that's been open to a particular page. In the corner, there's a wastebasket and a, a coat rack. Excuse me, the coat rack has a nice thick wool coat on it along with a charming little hat. And as you all sort of stand there, she goes around behind the desk into a nice large leather office chair. Ladies, please take a seat. Um, so, Esme, thank you for the introductions. My name is Ruth, ladies. Esme should know that. Always with the forgetfulness, young lady. So what can I help you all with today? We're concerned for a woman who comes here often. I would like to reach out to her and make sure she is okay. Well, honey, you know that doesn't really narrow it down. I mean, everyone here is a woman, except for Rick and Steve, but he does overnights, so, you know, he's not here right now. Esme will purse her lips together and close her eyes, bringing the image of the woman to her mind and trying to see if she can associate a name with it. And if she fails at that, she'll just start describing the woman. As the woman's image materializes in Esme's mind, she starts to think of syllables. Some of them are just words like sad, despondent, desperate, caring, care, no, not Karen, but there's a cuss sound. Clear, mate, no, Claire, 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 her name is Claire, that's what it is. Eyes will snap wide open. Claire, she'll say just a little bit too loud. 
and be almost a little bit too excited about remembering it. Oh, honey, I haven't seen Claire in like two weeks. She just, oh, it's just tragic. Once her, once her little boy ran away, she just wasn't the same. We've had a hell of a time trying to get her to either stay or even keep in touch. I mean, we could try to track her down for you if it's really important, but she hasn't been back. Oh, hello again, folks. I'd like to tell you about the Facebook group we run called White Wolf and Onyx Path RPGs Gameplay and Media. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded? One that won't be drowned out by random posts and discussions, so that your media could give the attention you deserve. The group is specifically run with the sole intent of being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. The group is already immense and continuing to rapidly grow, with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.